morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Les. I think most, I think I know most of you here, um, and I'm one of the elders in the church. I'm always used to being back here, and you would think that moving a meter and a half up here doesn't make a difference. It makes a difference, okay? It doesn't feel very comfortable. I'm very encouraged that our sister Baram came up today and shared today, and she did a great job. I think you did a great job. I was really um, encouraged by that. Thank you. Um, right, so last week, Pastor Eric was preaching about the prophet Habakkuk, and um, we were discovering what it means to have a life of hardship. Hardship. Now, that's a word that I've been thinking of pretty often, and I think some of us have been thinking of that word pretty often. When I think of the word hardship, I can't help but reflect on what's been going on here in Hong Kong in the past two years. Um, actually, let's, let's do a recap of what's happened in the past two years. Okay, 2019, the summer of 2019, that's when the protests started. And I think all of us were here at the time. And as a society here in Hong Kong, we were forced to pick a side, right? We were forced to pick, are you yellow or are you blue? You had to pick a side. And as a result of that, in our families, some of our family, uh, family members weren't talking to each other. Did any of you guys experience that? I've known so many friends here in Hong Kong who aren't even able to talk to their parents or their brothers and sisters and their cousins. These are their family members, and they aren't able to talk to them because they're differing opinions, differing opinions and differing ideologies. They're arguing with each other. In 2019, Hong Kong was seen to be somewhat unstable from a business perspective, so businesses began shutting down. In fact, I just read an article last week in the newspaper, well, online really, that said that Roughly 35% of multinational businesses in Hong Kong that were polled have expressed a concern with the stability in Hong Kong and are considering moving their businesses, their assets, their workforce overseas. And this has resulted in job losses. We're all too familiar with that. And that was just 2019, right? And then 2020 came along and then boom, a pandemic, a COVID pandemic. The borders have been shut. International travel has essentially ground to a virtual standstill. A lot of us here are not from Hong Kong. We were born overseas or we grew up overseas and we've come here for work. Us being an international church, we know exactly what it feels like to be stuck in here in Hong Kong. We can't go out. And if we go back to our home countries, if we come back, we've got to be quarantined for 21 days, 14 days. As you can imagine, and as have you seen, it's 2021 now, and nothing really much has changed, has it? In fact, it feels like it's getting worse. If you haven't been suffering from job losses, arguments with your family, not being able to see your parents or your kids or your spouses, if you are not suffering from any of these, then you definitely know somebody who is. You definitely know a lot of people who are going through this. Some of us aren't even able to go back to see our family members who are suffering elsewhere, who are worse off than we are. I spoke to two coworkers just this past week who told me, who were frustrated and said, we're suffering, we can't even go back to our home countries to bury our parents who have passed away. We're fed up, aren't we? We're disenchanted, we're angry, we feel defeated. Maybe we feel a little bit powerless. We're going through hardship, aren't we? We're essentially suffering, if I can put it like that. We're suffering. And when we think about suffering, there's three things 
I think of when I think of suffering. There's three questions I ask. One is why? Why are we suffering? Why do we have to go through this? What did I do? What did we do to deserve this? That's the first question. The second question is how long is this going to last? Summer 2019 until now, right? It's August 2021. That's two years. And things haven't gotten better. That's the second question. How long is this going to last? And the third question is, the third question is, where's God in all this? What is God trying to do here? Well, today, um, we're going to look at the passage that our brother Joshua just read, Jeremiah 29. And we're going to look and see what the passage tells us about suffering, specifically uh, three things. The first thing we're going to look at is that God allows us to go through suffering. The second is that there is purpose in suffering. And then finally, the third thing we're going to look at is um, discovering joy in suffering. Before I continue, let's pray. Father, I thank you that despite the hardship that we are facing today in Hong Kong, we are able to meet in person here. Lord, by your grace and mercy, we can meet in person here to have fellowship, to worship you, and to listen to your word. Lord, I pray that the words from my mouth this morning as I share with my brothers and sisters are not my own words, Lord, but that it would be divinely yours. And I pray, Father, that you would sensitize our ears, our hearts, and our minds this morning as we delve into your wonderful and your beautiful word this morning. Amen. So as we saw last week, Eric was preaching about Habakkuk. So let me give you the context of what's going on here before we delve into Jeremiah 29 again. The nation of Israel essentially is sitting against God. This is 2,500 years ago, by the way, 2,500 years ago. The nation of Israel is rebelling against God. They're sinning and they've turned away from God. So what does God do? God sends prophets to remind the people of Israel, to remind his people that they're sinning and to tell them to turn back to God. This is what he did with Habakkuk last week. This week, we're looking at another prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was sent by God to do the same thing. For 40 years, he's telling the people of Israel, turn from your sinful ways, come back to God. And if you don't, if you don't come back, judgment will befall you. You will be invaded by Babylon. And what do the people of Israel do? They don't listen. 40 years and they don't listen. And now, and when, I, when I read it, I, you know, when I read about this, it, it sounds a little ridiculous, right? 40 years, you're being told by a prophet sent by God to listen. But you know what? It's not too different from what we do today, is it? I mean, I can totally relate. I, I, I'll confess, I, I, I can to totally relate to this. God wants us to live a particular way. He says, live this way and follow me. And I go like, no, due to my pride and joy, I go, no, God, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it this way. I'll give you an example. Hong Kong is a city where we love to work hard. It's almost, it's, it's in our fabric. It's in our culture. Okay, we have to, we have, we have a, com there's a few things that, that contribute to this. One is there are a lot of highly educated people in Hong Kong who are really well qualified. We have good credentials and we come to a city like Hong Kong because it provides the opportunity. The second is that there's an Asian work culture here that's very, very strong. We don't want to let our bosses down. It's a yes, sir culture. The boss says this, I'm going to have to do that. Can any of you guys relate to that? This, this is Hong Kong, right? So very often I find myself picking up extra work, working really hard, not necessarily because I want to earn more money. Maybe it is, maybe it is, maybe that's the motivation. But it's also because there's this culture where I feel I have to do this. I have to do this. But you know what? Maybe at some point the Holy Spirit 
might be tapping on my, on my conscience and saying, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be spending more time. You should be going to church on Sunday. You should be spending more time with your kids and tucking them into bed at night. You should be praying with your children and being a good example to them. And that's the Holy Spirit tapping on my conscience. So God's telling me, this is what you should do. This is how you should walk. But due to my pride and my sin, I said, nope, Lord, I want to do it my way. I'm going to go to work because, you know, I think, you know, and I negotiate with God. You know, I think I can, I can make up for it somewhere else. Can any of you guys relate to that? Great, then I'm not alone then. <laughs> so what's happening here is the nation of Israel has not been obedient. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. They didn't listen to God. And so judgment has, befall, judgment has fallen upon them. Babylon now has invaded the kingdom of Judah and Babylon has hauled all these Jews back to Babylon and now they're exiles, okay? They're exiles in Babylon. Now, I, I don't think any of us here are exiles in the sense that Jeremiah is talking right now. And so it's easy to think, well, you know, I don't know what it's like to be in exile. I can't really relate. In a globalized world today, we live in many different parts, right? Like all of us, a lot of us here are not from Hong Kong. We came here to Hong Kong. We think, well, we're here four, five, six, seven, eight years. And after that, we get to go back. You know, it's not too bad. No, but, but this isn't a paid holiday that Jeremiah is talking about. This isn't um, a vacation. This isn't uh, an exchange program. This, this is not like you going off to study for college somewhere else or working in a different country. These guys are exiles, they're captives. What does it mean to be an exile? Well, for one, you're powerless. What does it mean to be powerless? You, you have no rights. You can't just get up and go home or go wherever you wanna go in the city. You're powerless. You have no strength. You can't overcome your captors even if you really wanted to, you just, you, you can't. The second is you feel disconnected. You're disconnected from your home, you're disconnected from whoever's left behind. You ever get that feeling? The third thing is, and I always like, you know, I try to imagine what it's like to be in exile, and it's, it's not really easy. Um, you go to a new country and you can't eat your own food sometimes. I know here in Hong Kong we really care about our food. Or you, can't, you can't have your own food. You don't even have the ingredients to have your own food. If you go to, can you imagine if you've never been to Italy and you go to Italy, all you have to eat is pasta, and here, as an Asian, you know, I'm just gonna crave my rice, you know. I met up with the youth a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about what is the, what is the weirdest foreign food that you've tried? And some people said balut in the Philippines, which if you guys don't know what balut is, it's, it's an egg with an unformed embryo inside and you cook that and you eat it. But by far, the grossest strange food that we talked about is if you go to Texas, you have to eat cow balls. All right, the youth are awake. The youth are awake and listening. So just to let you, the rest of the church know, we, had, we, we struck an agreement last week. If I were to say the word cowballs, they're going to moo. All right, good job, guys. Good job. You're paying attention. You're powerless. You can't find your own food. You're disconnected from your land. You're belittled. Remember, you're captives in a foreign land. You're captives in a country that conquered yours. You're a nobody. You're going to be mocked and scorned. Jeremiah himself, the prophet Jeremiah, penned a poem where he laments this captivity. And he says, he says this, By the waters of Babylon, 
by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So they sat down and they wept. On the willows we hung our lyres. They hung their harps on the trees. For there our captors required of a song, our tormentors mirth saying, sing us a song from Zion. So they're being mocked. The Jews are being mocked by their captives and they don't even want to sing. They've hung up their instruments on the trees because, because the Babylonians are saying, hey Jew, sing. Sing a song from the land that we conquered. They've lost their self-esteem. And that's what's going on right now. Now again, we're not exiles here, but all of us here either personally or know somebody personally who is going through some kind of circumstance or some kind of form of suffering. And in your own little way, you feel powerless. You feel completely out of place. You feel like a foreigner. You feel hopeless, belittled. Here in Hong Kong, you might have family members who mock your political affiliations and what you think about it. They'll mock you. You feel hopeless because maybe politically you can't say certain things anymore here in Hong Kong. And you feel you don't have any power anymore to say anything. You've lost that right. You've lost your job. You've had your income slashed in half or worse. In my case, it was 60% this past year. So you're gonna feel like you're suffering. You feel like you're in exile in some ways. Just to give you an example, I work in the airline industry and in this year alone, from January till now, thousands have been laid off. Thousands. The airline Cathay Dragon ceased to exist in the blink of an eye overnight. In Hong Kong Airlines, in the blink of, a, in the blink of an eye, half the staff were fired, half, overnight. It's a hopeless situation. Now I have to admit, um, at this very moment, when things seem dire, I have a tendency to look for good news. Any of you guys do that? In the morning when I wake up, I go to Google and I look for news and if I, if I see an article that says, oh, you know, the, the vaccines are working, cases are down to zero in Hong Kong, borders are gonna open, and we're gonna have a travel bubble with Singapore next month. That's good news, that's great, right? Guess when that news came out? A year ago, when they said, the travel bubble is gonna open in August, that's August last year. I'm still waiting. And it's interesting because if, we, if, if you look at the chapter before this in Jeremiah, there's a false prophet by the name of Hananiah and he's telling this to the Jews. He's saying, oh, don't worry. I know, I know you're in captivity now and I know you're suffering, but God says he's gonna deliver you. He's gonna defeat the Babylonians and in two years, you're gonna be able to leave. And this is what Jeremiah says. He says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. It is a lie. I did not send them declares the Lord. God is saying, do not listen to false prophets. False prophets existed 2,500 years ago. They still exist today. It's hard to determine what a false prophet is, right? Because we crave that good news. Instead, this is what God says to the Jews. He says, while you're suffering in Babylon, do this, build houses. Verse five, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, don't decrease. But seek the welfare of your city. This is part of our prayer this morning. Seek the welfare, the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray 
to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So what's God saying here? You're in exile. What do I want you to do? Get comfortable. Settle down. Continue living. Continue serving. He also says, you're suffering? Well, guess what? You're in it for the long haul. You might as well settle down. How long? Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Imagine hearing this from God. You're suffering two years, you're in captivity, and suddenly God says to you, "Uh, it's going to be 70 years. That's discouraging, right? I don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. 70 years, that's the equivalent of two lifetimes. You know, we, we, we don't think too much about 70 years, but just for fun, what I did this morning is I looked at the Almanac from 1951. 1951 was 70 years ago. And you know who was one of the biggest pop singers at the time? Nat King Cole. Does anybody know who Nat King Cole is? It's the stuff my grandfather used to listen to. I can't even relate to that. This is how long it's going to be, 70 years. Now, I'm not saying that God's telling us today that COVID's going to last 70 years at the borders of Hong Kong are going to be closed for 70 years. That's not what I'm saying, okay? And I hope and I pray and we hope and we pray as a church that that's not going to happen in, in Hong Kong. But this, this is what God is telling us today, church, is that suffering happens. It happens. Whether it's due to our disobedience, as it was for the Jews who, dis, who, were, who were disobeying God, or for some other reason that we haven't really figured out yet. We haven't really, that hasn't been made clear to us. The point is that God allows suffering to happen. Which brings us to our second point today, which is there is purpose in suffering. So the first point was that God allows suffering to happen. Second point is there is purpose in suffering. Now, Eric talked about uh, an interesting uh, graph last week. Does anybody remember what it's called? It's a curve. It's called the J-curve. We're going to look at it again today. And uh, if we can put it up there. Oh, it's really small. Okay. Well, you, you get the gist of it. It's, it's, it's a J-curve. And what the J-curve is, is um, it's basically our walk with Christ. And as we walk with Christ, as Christ died before he rose again, so our walk with Christ is the same. We die to ourselves, and then we gain glory through Christ. And if I were to think about suffering this week, I'd probably plot suffering right at the bottom of that. Do you guys agree? I'd put it at the bottom, right? Because that's the worst part of our walk with Christ is the bottom of the J-curve. Now, when, when we think of suffering, the natural response that we have is to, is to run away from it because nobody likes suffering. Nobody will voluntarily put their hand up and say, yeah, I'll, I'll suffer. No one's going to do that. Our natural inherent response is when we see suffering, we get away as far away from it as we can. And if we're in suffering, our inherent reaction, our, our immediate reaction is to try and get out of it as quickly as we can. And this is what Paul Miller, Paul Miller is, is a guy who, um, who designed this. It's, um, what Paul Miller is saying is that when we try to find the quick way out of suffering, he calls it jumping the J, right? You jump the J, you try to get off the J. That's what we're doing. Now, it'd be okay to do this if there was no purpose for the suffering. But today we're going to look at what the purpose of suffering is. And in contrast, God says that suffering takes on two levels. The two levels are God's purpose. So there's God's purpose in suffering. I think we can go on to the next slide. 
Well, maybe not yet. Okay, so there's, there's two, God says there's two levels of suffering. There's God's purpose and there's our purpose. God's purpose and our purpose. And let's take a look at what God's purpose is. Verse 11, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, right? This is, this is quoted on plaques, on memes, posters, framed on your wall at home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Don't you love that verse? That's a great verse. Because it sounds like God is saying, oh, I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to go through anything bad. No evil will befall you. I'm going to give you welfare. I'm going to give you health. I'm going to give you prosperity, comfort. And that's why we're looking at this contextually today. God says to the Jews, you'll be suffering for 70 years. But then he says, I have a plan in all this. But wait, I thought you said you're going to give me welfare. That's not what God is saying here. God says, I have a plan for all this, a purpose. This feel-good verse maybe doesn't seem so feel-good anymore. Trust me, it will, it will become feel-good again. Clearly, the Jews have no welfare in Babylon, do they? They're captives. How can they have welfare. What God is saying in this verse is this. He says, I, it is in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your suffering, as you're suffering in Babylon, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. What is this plan? Well, God makes three promises to his people. If we go to verse 14, this is what he says, I will be found in you I will be found by you. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God's not saying, I won't send you into exile. God's not saying, you're not going to suffer. God's saying that as you're suffering, remember that I love you and I will bring you through it. I will bring you through your suffering. Jeremiah also says earlier in the passage, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. So God's first promise is that he loves his people and he's going to bring them out. The second is that I will hear your prayers. He says, I will hear you when you pray to me, when we call out to him in our hopelessness, when we call out to him, he will hear us. And the third promise is this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. The third promise is this, I will be found by you. If you pursue me, you will find me. Those are three beautiful promises. And church, this is, this is God's purpose. We're wondering about what is God's purpose in suffering? This is God's purpose. God's purpose in our suffering is to draw us closer to him. So how do we respond to that? If God wants to draw us closer to him in our suffering, how do we respond? Because that's, that's our purpose, right? We just talked about what God's purpose is. What's our purpose? Well, the great preacher John Piper was able to break this down a lot better than I ever could. When talking about our suffering and what it means for us to suffer, Piper breaks it down into five R's. We can put it up there right now. Five R's. And I'm not going to go into each one in detail. If you want to go into detail with them with me, please give me a call or meet me after church. I'll be happy to meet up with you during the week and we can turn this into a devotion. This will be a great devotion. Right, the five R's, repentance, reliance, righteousness, reminder, and reward. Remember what God tells his people in verse four to eight? As you're going through your suffering, settle down, build houses, 
Don't deplete in numbers. Seek the welfare of your city. I'm going to plug the five R's back into what God is saying through Jeremiah, and it'll probably shed more light on it. This is what God is saying. While you're suffering in exile, continue to pray to me. Pursue me. Repent. We'll go back to the five R's again. Repent. Turn from your evil ways and come back. Rely on me. Learn to rely on me. Seek righteousness as you walk closer to me. Remember my promises to you. And finally, reward. When you do all that, remember that I will bring you through this suffering to greater glory. So now Jeremiah 29, 11, let's go back to that. For I know the plans I have for you. I've been trying to find a way to summarize that contextually. And I found one verse, um, one sentence online from a preacher named Eric Hernando that, that I think really stood out to me. And I want to share that with you this morning. It says, Christians facing difficult situations, Christians facing difficult situations today. I think we have a slide for that. Oh yeah, it's there. Sorry. Okay. Christians facing difficult situations today can take comfort in Jeremiah 29, 11, knowing that it is not a promise to immediately rescue us from hardship or suffering, but rather it's a promise that God has a plan for our lives. And regardless of our current situation, he can work through it to prosper us and give us a hope and a future. God has a plan in our suffering, church. And you know, we see that plan take on a whole new meaning. God's plan takes on a whole new meaning when he sends his son Jesus to earth to suffer and to die. And because of that, our suffering is no longer condemned. God's promise to the people of Israel is no longer confined to just the Jews. It's been poured out now through Jesus Christ to all of us, all of us here. And the cool thing about that is Jesus gives us this new security about our suffering. We don't have to be ashamed of our suffering because he gives us this new security in our suffering. Because even if things don't get better in the next two years here in Hong Kong, even if things don't get better in your life in the next 70 years, even if things don't get better in our entire lifetime, we know because of Jesus, God makes all that suffering worthwhile, right? Jesus came to earth, he endured pain, he endured suffering, so that if we believe in him, we will not perish, we won't die, and we will live with our Lord Jesus forever in heaven. This is what we believe as Christians. And this brings us to our third point, which is joy in suffering. And I want to talk really uh, quickly about a friend of mine named Joel. Because when I think of joy and suffering, he's the first person I think of. Before I moved to Hong Kong six years ago, I, I lived and worked in Singapore. And I was serving in a church there, and I was a worship leader and, uh, and a musician. And one of the worship leaders there, who was a pianist as well, a really accomplished pianist, was a guy named Joel. And Joel was a mild-mannered guy who always smiled. Every time I walked in the church, he'd be like, hey, Les. Every time I showed up for band practice, he'd be like, hey, Les. He was always smiling. He was always happy. You guys know a friend like that? <laughs> Joel was the guy. And a couple weeks after I met Joel, I found out that he was a cancer survivor. He had a brain tumor, and he had the tumor removed, and uh, went through chemo, and he had survived. By the grace of God, he had survived cancer. And we served on the uh, music team together. And after about 
um, might have been 10 months to a year. After band practice one day, Joel approached me and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that the cancer's back. He said it with a smile. The cancer's back less, and this time it's far more aggressive. And I asked him, well, how long do you have? And he said, the doctor says weeks, so I'm not going to fight it. Um, but I've been through it before, is what Joel said. And I couldn't help but wonder why, you know, he could still smile. I'm like, Joel, why, why, why are you still smiling? And he says, because the joy of the Lord is my strength, Les. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. I still don't get it. Well, about a week before I moved to Hong Kong, Joel gave me a call and he says, hey, you're leaving for Hong Kong. Uh, why don't you come on over for lunch and let's talk about, you know, what God's plan is for you. What is Jesus' plan for you in Hong Kong? And I go, and I go okay, I'll, I'll, I'll swing by. And so I hop on the bus and I show up at his house and his wife, Sherry, uh, Sherry opens the door. And then I'm like, hey, where's Joel? Oh, he's on the couch. He, he can't walk. So I walk over to Joel and he's sitting there, big smile on his face. Hey, Les. Right? And you could tell he was having a really hard time breathing. It was painful. But he still wanted to know what I planned to do in Hong Kong. And I picked up the courage to ask him this. I said, Joel, how are you in your suffering right now, still able to smile? And he goes, well, that's the joy of the Lord. Oh, I've heard the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, I know the verses, I know the songs, but tell me, what, what is it? What's, how are you able to smile? And this is what he said. He said, Les, if you know Jesus and what he's done in my life, you'll smile too. I can't do that, I told him. I, I, I don't know how you do it. How do you do it? And he said, well, you got, you got to pray for it. You got to ask for it. Church, if we're in dire straits and we don't know how to discover this supernatural joy, we got, we got to pray for it. And we got to pray for our friends and our family members who are suffering, who are having difficulty finding it. Joel points me to Romans. He says, go read Romans. So I'm going to read it with you guys today. Romans 5, and this is Paul's letter. Okay, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's talking about what this, what this supernatural relationship is that he has discovered with Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Amen. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Hang on a second. We rejoice in our sufferings? We just talked about, what, what, what did we say just now? If we see suffering, what's the first thing we do? We run right in the opposite direction. About face, we walk away. I don't want to deal with suffering. What's Paul saying here? It sounds a little crazy. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love, his, his infinite love has been poured into our hearts freely through the Holy Spirit. Hope. Paul's not talking about false hope. What God is saying here is that if you have false hope, you'll, it'll be put to shame. You'll be put to shame. If you have hope in your jobs, well, you know what? Dragon, Kathy Dragon will cease to exist overnight, and there goes your job. If you have hope in your relationships, and people start letting you down and start lying to you, start cheating on you. You can't trust people anymore. You lose your hope in people. If you have hope in your reputation or your education or how well you're doing in school, someone's always going to come by who's going to be better, who's going to be more qualified, who's going to be more talented, 
who's going to get more A's in school than you. No, that's not, that's false hope. The hope that Paul is talking about here is a hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ, because God doesn't care whether you're a PhD holder or if you have a bachelor's degree or a high school diploma or you didn't even go to school. God loves you. God, does, does, God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care if you work for a multinational company or a little business that's on the brink of folding or if you're jobless right now. God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care if you're single. God doesn't care if you're married. God doesn't care if you're divorced. God loves us with this infinite love which is given to us through Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? That means, yes, we can experience joy because our hope is not in these false things. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, in our brokenness, when we have lost our jobs, we can rejoice because we have Jesus. When people are letting you down, when your business is about to fold, we can have hope. We can rejoice. When you're lying next to a loved one who is dying of terminal cancer, though it sounds difficult, we know where we're going, don't we? We can have joy. In that sense, being in exile doesn't seem too foreign, does it, to us now when we think about it? In fact, the Christian walk is very often um, seen as being very similar to that of an exile. Peter um, says this, he says, the Apostle Peter, he says, we're sojourners and exiles here on planet Earth. We're exiles here on planet Earth. Paul says to the Philippians, if you're wondering if we're, if, you know, we're exiles here, then where, where, where is our home? Well, Paul says this, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Two weeks after I came up here to Hong Kong, my buddy Joel's wife, uh, Cherie, called me and said, Joel's passed away. And you know what? I bet you he went out smiling because Joel had that supernatural love. He had that supernatural joy in his heart, the joy that I want. And I think this is the joy that he's talking about. This is the joy that he wanted me to see, that he wanted us to see from Romans. We can have joy in our suffering because when we lose those whom we love, or if we are on the brink of losing our own lives, we can have joy. We can have purpose in that suffering because our suffering doesn't define us anymore, does it? Because of Jesus, our suffering doesn't define us. It isn't the end of the story because we have hope. And because we have hope, we can be ambassadors for that here while we're exiles. God doesn't tell us just to continue to serve him, to continue to pursue him. He also tells us to serve others, to care for those around us who may be hurting, to care for those around us who may be suffering because we have hope. We can be representatives for hope because our true home awaits us. Church, whatever type of suffering you're going through or whatever type of suffering that your friends or your family may be going through, um, we know it's hard. But as we can see here in Jeremiah, there is, there is purpose in this. God has a reason for this. God loves us. And even though in our micro world we can't see what his plan is, God sees the macro plan. He knows why we have to go through it. What's the purpose? We know God wants to draw us closer to him through suffering, but he also wants us to continue to serve him and 
continue to serve each other. As we continue to pursue him and seek him in our suffering, he's made a promise to us. He says, we will find him. He's also promised that when we pray to him, he hears us. I know it's a pretty heavy, um, uh, it's pretty heavy subject matter, uh, and suffering always is. But the wonderful thing about that is because of Christ Jesus, we know that our suffering here is temporary. And God has made this wonderful promise. He said, because he loves us, he'll carry us through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, in the hardships and suffering that we're going through, Lord, we want to thank you for your wonderful promises to us that you are with us throughout. Lord, and that you love us. Lord, we thank you for the promise that when we pray to you and we cry out to, to you, Lord, you hear us. Father, we thank you that you have a plan. Lord, we may, know, we may not know what that plan is, but Lord, I pray that we would turn from our ways, Lord, and that we would seek you and that we would pursue you and we would serve you during our suffering. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of compassion to care for the people around us who are suffering as well and preach, Lord, these truths to them as well. Lord, thank you for the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus, Lord, who himself suffered and died on the cross so that our suffering, Lord, pales in comparison, Lord, to the greater glory that awaits us in heaven later. Lord, thank you because you are a God that knows all. You're a God who's able to see the big picture. And Lord, you're a God who has a big heart. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.